week number two here on The Basement with uh, doing our 31 Days of Horror that you've probably been seeing pop up on the Instagram page as of late. I might be switching some of those posts to just in the IG stories because, yeah, it's getting a little... <laughs> it's getting a little... Uh, I'm screwing up the algorithm, I think, <laughs> on the Instagram page. But if you've been following along, uh, you see I've been watching some a, a horror movie a day. Some I've seen before. Some are a little new to me. Some I haven't seen in a while. And last week we did uh, October 1st through the 7th, so we're picking up on October 8th. Today is the 14th. Uh, yes, at the end of the show, I hear I'm going to be talking with you about Halloween Ends. I caught it last night. It's in theaters now, but it's also streaming on Peacock, and I stayed home and watched it on Peacock. So, uh, but before I get to that, let me dial it back to last Saturday. We'll kick things off with the October 8th movie I watched. Um, nothing better than to sit in a movie theater at midnight with people who all get the vibe of Return of the Living Dead. This is absolutely a classic of zombie films. Uh, and this, is, this movie also comes out in 1985, directed by Dan O'Bannon. Uh, a lot of horror nerds know that name uh, a lot. And this came out, like I said, 1985. This is like peak 80s. So you are getting like the ultimate 80s cult film, I feel, with Return of the Living Dead. Perfect midnight movie. But sometimes when you say midnight movie, people go like, oh, so it's bad. And look, if you're some cinephile snob that, you know, likes the smell of his own farts or something <laughs> or something like that. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, you probably aren't going to really enjoy Return of the Living Dead. Uh, but if you are in, if you just want a good time at the movies, this is a perfect fun film. So many catchphrases that will make an audience burst out laughing. And Return of the Living Dead has been streaming, I think, since streaming really blew up. Uh, it's currently for free on Tubi right now. I think it's on HBO Max, or maybe it's the third one. Return of the Living Dead 3 is on there. Uh, one, I think maybe the second or third. I don't know. Look into that for me. You know, HBO Max is just like, you know, deleting stuff out of their library left and right, even their original content. But regardless, Return of the Living Dead was played on the big screen at the Enzian Theater in Orlando. A past guest of mine, Anthony Darrington of Phaser Media, reached out to me and said, dude, you want to check out, you know, the, the horror films are showing at midnight at the Enzian? And I was just like, uh, yes, I do. And I can make Return of the Living Dead. So... Went out, had a good time, hung out with him and some of his friends that I met, um, just to sit there for an hour and a half and listen to the people laugh and just chatter and talk to the screen when something bad was about to happen and la and just laugh some more. There's so many quotable lines in Return of the Living Dead. It is the perfect movie to play for an audience on the big screen. And uh, it it just it just hits like you can watch this on streaming like I I pop it on sometimes when I'm folding laundry it, it's a fun film but like to have audience interaction with this movie it, it's kind of I I chalk it up to maybe seeing Evil Dead on the big screen and whatnot a lot of fun a lot of gore a lot of fun gore uh, <laughs> the movie is just kind of like the 80s in a nutshell I feel too um, so yeah that's Return of the Living Dead I watched it Saturday night technically. It was Sunday morning, but uh, the show started at 11.59, so I'm marking that as my October 8th show. Now, on to October 9th is none other than last year's, well, it was originally going to be a 2020 release, but, you know, COVID, 
and um, it got pushed to 2021. And this is the new revamp of, uh, if that's the word we're using, but the new Candyman, the 2021 release. Now, everybody knows the 1992 film starring Tony Todd. Tony Todd, of course, delivers an iconic performance as Candyman in that one and the other two sequels that are hailed as not the best in the world, but um, I'll get into that in a minute. But I saw this one last year in theaters. It was one of the films I saw, you know, to kind of get back into going to the movies again. And I really liked it, but I, I saw it pop up on Amazon Prime. And like, it was one of those situations where I really liked it, but something about me wanted to give it another try. Like there was something more I needed to learn from the movie or just something I needed to, something I missed. I, I don't know, just kind of a weird instinct. And I was just like, eh. I better watch this before Amazon Prime gets rid of it. I don't have a Blu-ray of it or anything. And it was definitely a really good film. And yeah, the Candyman 2021 uh, project that had Jordan Peele, I think, wrote it and co-produced it, uh, directed by Nia DaCosta. Uh, yeah, a very atmospheric film. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know the plot of the new Candyman uh, here it is off of a Google search. <laughs> For decades, the housing projects of Chicago Cabrini Green were terrorized by a ghost story about a supernatural hook-handed killer. In present day, an artist begins to explore the macabre history of Candyman, not knowing it would unravel his sanity and unleash a terrifying wave of violence that puts him on a collision course with destiny. And it indeed does that. This, this takes a really cool turn. Uh, if you're going into it thinking Tony Todd is going to just show up in the third act as like a big surprise, uh, it's it's not that at all. This is a very new Candyman. Um, the original Candyman obviously has a lot of social commentary. This one has a lot of commentary on things like gentrification in Chicago and uh, a long list of other things. Uh, th this movie just um, really taps into kind of the cool uh, culture of art and artists I thought was really interesting and how art people are kind of snobs. <laughs> uh, and then I, I just think it's so freaking cool. I love it when we have a protagonist at the beginning of the movie who descends into something that is very dark and harmful to his character. But let's just say... It's the inevitable for him. Um, I know people probably know what I'm talking about, but if you haven't seen it, it's streaming on Amazon Prime. It's, it's a solid watch. I'm happy. It was only like 90 minutes in length. I, I, was, I didn't want to sit down for two hours, but uh, it's a perfect, nice watch, perfect pace, three-act structure. Uh, a lot to take in, and it doesn't try to like be subliminal about it with the messages it's trying to convey and the history and the lore of Candyman. Like, you you really get it. And that's one thing I always liked about that character and that story arc. Uh, you really get Candyman. Like, there's no kind of hidden twist or anything. I mean, there is kind of a twist in this one. But um, the overall lore of it is such an interesting thing to me. So Candyman 2021 is streaming on Amazon Prime maybe later this month. I'm going to try and see if I can track down a few of the bad... I say in air quotes, bad uh, sequels to the 1992 one. There's a 1995 and a 99. I think the 99 version was like straight to video. Uh, so yeah, um, I'll check those out. So on Monday the 10th, I uh, popped down, sat down on my couch at night, 
and I turned on a David Cronenberg film that is hailed as a classic. It's something he's very much known for. Um, but it, I've only seen it once, and it's been a long time since I sat down and watched 1981's Scanners. And um, it's a hole in my Cronenberg filmography. Uh, David Cronenberg, you're going to get some great body horror. And, of course, Scanners has the most iconic head-exploding scene you've maybe ever seen. There's there's a few other ones that I think are close to that, but uh, if you look up, like, uh, gifts of heads exploding to send to people, uh, I'm pretty sure Cronenberg's scanners uh, will pop up. It's a very popular scene that people know about. Um, so the plot line of scanners is scanners are men and women, both with incredible telepathic and telekinetic powers. There are many who exercise the benefits of their special gifts in a safe and judicious manner. However, there's a group of renegade scanners who plan to create a race that will rule the world. Typical kind of David Cronenberg (laughs) plot line. Um, I'll be completely honest and I know I'm going to get some flack for this. And I did get some flack for this on letterbox when I reviewed it. I'm not a big scanners fan. Um, I, I think, and I love David Cronenberg movies. I love Dead Ringers. I love The Brood. I love The Fly. I know I still haven't seen his most recent film. His son made a film a couple years ago that I really, really liked, uh, Possessor, that's streaming on Hulu right now. He's also made things like Eastern Promises, which Viggo Mortensen was Oscar nominated for. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing a few other films, but a lot of people love Scanners. And I don't know, it just kind of dragged for me. I, I, I don't need to sit here and give a review for a movie that's 41 years old. But um, I needed to watch it to kind of see if it was really my bag. And there's a great first 20 minutes, which is where that famous scene is in. And there's a great like final showdown between Michael Ironside and um, the other actor's name is escaping me, the good guy in the movie. Uh, but... I don't know. I don't think Scanners is my bag. I'm sorry. But regardless, uh, I do appreciate it because Cronenberg is a great filmmaker. Um, I will say this. Maybe I shouldn't have also watched this in the context of it being Halloween time. And, you know, you kind of want to watch spooky stuff rather than, uh, you know, body horror with a sci-fi vibe to it rather than you know, other things, uh, scanners isn't really like, doesn't really feel like horror to me. I mean, there's, there's moments of dread to it, but it felt more like a sci-fi drama at times with some pretty gory moments. Uh, maybe I'll give it a rewatch out of context of watching it in October. Cause I don't feel like it's like that kind of October movie, but so that's kind of my mistake. I will give scanners one more try down the road at some point, but, uh, I give it two and a half stars. Don't hate on it, all right? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not hating on it, even though I didn't really care for it. But uh, I know it's a classic, and I am happy that it has an audience like it does. But I watched Scanners. I'm kind of knocking it right now. I'm going to move on to the next one here. All right, so on the next night, I watched um, Disney Plus put out a Marvel Studios little one-hour one-off movie or something. I hope it's not a one-off because I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, I heard about Werewolf by Night, which is an adaptation of some uh, some comic books and graphic novels. And uh, this is a lot of fun. 
<laughs> look, it's on Disney Plus. I wasn't expecting to get like crazy scared and like have a horror movie kind of stick with me. But I was in the mood for some werewolves, and I'll get into that in a little bit because I watched another werewolf movie on the next day after this. This was Tuesday, the uh, the eleventh, eleventh movie of October, Werewolf by Night, streaming on Disney Plus right now. I think they dropped it last week or something, or maybe a little earlier than that. Uh, anybody who doesn't know the plot to Werewolf by Night? Well, here you go. On a dark and somber night, a secret cabal of monster hunters emerge from the shadows and gather at the Bloodstone Temple following the death of their leader. The attendees are thrust into a mysterious and deadly competition for a powerful relic. A lot of fun werewolf flick. 55 minutes in length. It's just like an episode of TV. And it's just kind of this one-off thing, at least for right now. I haven't heard if they're going to bring anything back. Maybe for like a yearly thing on Disney Plus, uh, but I ne- I needed to check this thing out. Uh, I'm a sucker for a good werewolf thing. I, I think that is a subgenre that just nobody's doing anymore. And I think werewolves. I think werewolves are next to have a renaissance in the horror genre. I hope so. Whoever's working on something with a werewolf, fucking keep at it because I think it could blow up. Um, this movie, oddly enough, produced by Disney and you know based off of a Marvel. Marvel Comics, uh, feels like a universal horror film, like a classic universal. It's shot, it's all in black and white until I think the final scene. Uh, it feels so atmospheric, like those old Wolfman, Frankenstein, Dracula, Universal monster films. And oddly enough, Universal and Disney are competing brands, but still, like, I think I'm pretty sure in the pre-production meeting in the writer's room, in all that, they were talking about your classic Universal monsters. It has that atmosphere. It has that lore. Beautifully shot in black and white. I uh, was so happy they, they released this. I, I didn't even know this was coming down the pipeline. Um, it's a lot of fun, and I think it's it's fun for it's fun for like you and your kids if your kids are like tweens or teenagers. You know, like that they're. Um, there's nothing too over the top, but it, it, you know, it's, it's got, it's got werewolves in it, so it might get a little violent, but it also is Disney. Disney's not trying to harm its viewers that much. It's pretty, it's very PG-13, I'll say that. And there's nothing too scary about it. It's, it's pretty manageable. Uh, so that's Werewolf by Night. Um, I recommend it on Disney Plus right now. Watch it during the uh, Halloween season. It's a good one. Let's keep that trend going with werewolves. On uh, Wednesday, day number 12, num- movie number 12, sorry, of my 31 Days of Halloween, I kept it going and watched Werewolf of London streaming now on Peacock. And uh, like I said last week when I watched The Invisible Man, uh, Peacock has all their universal monster films available, and I'm trying to watch ones that I'm not too familiar with, or I've only seen once. Like I watched, it'd been a long time since I seen The Invisible Man. Watched that last week, uh, and I'm not. I'm very much aware of Werewolf of London, but I never watched it. Uh, released in 1935, this movie came out six years before the actual Wolfman movie, that which with Lon Chaney Jr. That is kind of more of the known iconic Universal monster film. Uh, Werewolf of London, I, I don't know what the backstory was, why it was made. Uh, I, I'm sure there's things I could read into, but this is just kind of, you know, a quick little episode of what I've, been, what I've been watching horror films, horror film-wise. 
Yeah, so this comes out six years before The Wolfman. Uh, if you never told me this was a universal monster film, I wouldn't think it was. Um, it does feel a little different. It doesn't feel as dark as Dracula and Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. There, there's definitely a out-of-that-universe kind of feel to it, meaning it doesn't feel like it fits in. Um, that's not to say it's a bad movie, though. I, I think maybe people just... I, I hopped on Letterboxd, saw some reviews of just like, yeah, you can see why they kind of scrapped this and don't really talk about it that much, but they talk about the Wolfman. And Lon Chaney Jr.'s Wolfman is a classic. It is iconic. I love it. Um, but I think the fact that there's this Werewolf of London film released in 1935, there's this Werewolf of London film out there that oftentimes feels like it's a commentary on maybe Jack the Ripper or there's a little bit of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde feel to it as well because the main character is a scientist. He's a botanist. And um, it actually kind of has this cool lore to it in the first scene, which I really got into. So the movie starts with the main character, Wilfred Glendon, played by Henry Hole. Um, he's out in Tibet researching a mysterious flower that, that takes its strength from the moon. A lot like a wolf or a werewolf. Um, he's bitten by a werewolf, and when he goes back to London, he becomes absorbed in his research of the plant and is annoyed by the appearance of fellow scientist Dr. Yogami. He is kind of this annoying, annoying character that keeps showing up. Um, this doctor reveals that the plant is the only known temporary antidote for werewolves. Glendon remains skeptical until the next full moon when he undergoes a startling transformation. I'm sure you know what that transformation is. Um, like I said... The fact that this is under the Universal Monster umbrella, um, you know, I think people forget about it because they just think of the Wolfman. Uh, I think this movie's okay. I don't think it's as good. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. I think there's fun parts. But like I said, if you were to tell me uh, this was a Universal Monster film and I went in blind, I know I'm talking about that a lot. I'm kind of rehashing things. But... If I went in blind, I would have never thought it was a film in that kind of world, in that universe. It's shot very different. The characters don't feel very dark. There's not a darkness to them that you get in those other films. But, yeah, if you just kind of watch it as a standalone thing, I think it's enjoyable if you're into classic films. And obviously, it's an hour and 15 minutes, short and sweet. You're in and out. It's what I love about those films. Uh, be sure to check it out if uh, you have Peacock. Speaking of Peacock... I feel weird saying Peacock on this show a lot. I've been watching a lot of Peacock. I'm just trying to get away with saying cock on the show. <laughs> um, okay. Um, as you know, I am a big fan of the Halloween franchise. Big, big, big fan. I take it for what it is. I take the great ones for what they are. I take the not-so-great ones and still find good things about them. Uh, Halloween Ends dropped today. It's in theaters but it actually, you know, early screenings last night, and it dropped on Peacock at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time last night. And when I heard that news broke, I was like, okay, I'm switching my days around, all right? I was going to watch something today, but I'll watch that tomorrow morning and then do the episode, and I'm going to watch Halloween Ends so I can talk about what's well, fresh in the zeitgeist. So here we go. Halloween Ends. Now, I'm not going to give any spoiler reviews of how things end, Um I will, though, be talking a little more about it. 
this coming Sunday on Hot Genre Topics on YouTube Live. Uh, Pre-show is 7.45 on Instagram Live. We switch things up. We're jumping over to YouTube. And, you know, we'll see how things go. We might just go on, like, multiple different social media sites. Anyway, back to Halloween End. Sorry, I thought I'd do a little plug there again. <laughs> Look, uh, I didn't care for Halloween Kills. Um, I was let down by it a lot. I, I liked what Blumhouse did in 2018 with that new Halloween uh, and kind of the, the 2018 Halloween, I felt like was fan service while trying to be something new. And I enjoyed it. I respected it. I respected what they were trying to do. And I was excited for more Halloween kills last year uh, was a little bummed me out. I won't lie. It was, I don't know. So basically Halloween kills was pretty much that. And Michael Myers just kills people. And if you really want a good Michael Myers body count and watch that kind of movie i think halloween kills is for you there's other things that go on in that movie that just i don't know i just that didn't hit for me and hey it happens um i feel like they were trying to elevate the um the the franchise a little bit and i can respect that i, I think you should by the time you're this far into entries into the franchise no matter how timelines really work and what they're doing but i respect the fact they were trying something new and halloween ends also tries something new. Tries something new that I don't even think anybody who is clicking play or buying a ticket of admission is going to be expecting. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm, I'll, I'll say a little more, but like I'm going to leave it just kind of at that. I went into this thinking, okay, we're gearing up for what they're kind of promoting. This final showdown between... Laurie Strode, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, the scream queen to end all scream queens, honestly. She really kind of is right up there, like, sitting on her throne. She's she's Jamie Lee Curtis. She's the best. She's this A-list actress who does not, you know, stray away from the fact that she got her first real break in the industry on a $300,000 horror film. I'm talking about the original Halloween. Uh, yeah, she owns that. And most people, when they get to the level and fame that she has with the longevity she's had in her career, kind of there's like they try to get away. They kind of, you know, turn into Jennifer, Jennifer Aniston. You know, she was in Lepre, the first Leprechaun and you don't hear her talking about that. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're going in thinking that this is going to be a big epic showdown between Michael Myers and Laurie Strode. And it is. It gets there. Yeah, they have their they have their standoff. But there is a lot of stuff that builds up to that where I just I don't know. Like <laughs> I don't want to give a full I liked it, didn't like it kind of chatter about it right now. Because A, I'm not a critic. I I don't want to be one of those Oh, I didn't, you know, appreciate, you know, with the like all those fucking internet critics. I'm I'm sorry, you guys are annoying. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just didn't, like, I, I don't know. Like, once it started, I was kind of like, okay, this is something different. I think I'm on board. But, like, midway through, I'm going, this needs to stick the landing. It really needs to. And I'm unsure if it's gonna. And whether you think it sticks the landing, for anybody who has seen it that's listening to this, is entirely up to you. I think it... I think it sticks to the landing, but I think it's very clunky um, with how it does so. Uh, I can't sit here and say I 
think it's the best one out of the Blumhouse trilogy that they've produced over the last four or five years. I, I don't. I don't think I have that in me to say that. I can't say um, it's the worst, but I can say it is something different. And it's something that you're not going to expect coming from the trailers. They, they don't really... They show you one thing. They show you one thing in the trailers, and thirty minutes in, I remember checking like this is a Halloween movie, right? And I do think they I got invested with what was going on before we really kick into high gear with Michael Myers. Um, I was also kind of reminding myself in this movie, Michael Myers has got to be like seventy five years old. <laughs> He is an ailing old man who's nearly been burned alive, stabbed a lot. Like, he's he's dying. Like, they, they portray him as a real character, not this mythic force you see in previous sequels. Like, he's a guy who's psychotic and walks around with a creepy mask. And I've, I kind of refreshed my memory on him. Like, okay, like, Michael Myers is kind of supposed to be like this. And I, I could understand that. Uh, there's just, there's other things too where like I saw some parallels between this and Season of the Witch Halloween 3 which I talked about last week How and I was wondering while I'm thinking this I was I'm reading Twitter as the movie's kind of wrapping up and finishing and a lot of people were hating it and of course it's Twitter everybody just gets mad on Twitter we had a president that got mad on Twitter for fuck's sake I just remember thinking like this is gonna this movie's gonna be like Season of the Witch where everybody hates this movie right now but I kind of was like, let's like revisit this movie in 20 years. I know that sounds like a tall order, but like I wonder if in 20 years when a new generation comes along, they're kind of like, no, this was really fucking good, actually. Um, and anybody knows what I mean by Season of the Witch, the fact that that film in the franchise is so different than the other ones. It's almost like David Gordon Green and Danny McBride said, let's try to make something different than everything else we still have michael myers but let's do something different i'm obviously not going to sit here and say what that different formula is because it is just out a lot of people haven't seen it um, if you want to hear me talk more about it tune into hot genre topics this sunday on youtube live uh there will be a link on the socials for that i know i'm kind of plugging my other show right now but for real like i'm kind of just giving it a few days till people have seen it and whatnot to talk more about it um, so yeah, that's Halloween ends and it ends, it, it ended. <laughs> All right. Um, I feel like maybe I should have watched Halloween ends this morning and ended on that show. ended on that note, but I did watch one more, uh, for today, uh, 14th, uh, number 14 for me is none other than Dario Argento's opera streaming now on shutter. So I got mixed release dates of when this came out. I think it came out in um, 1987 in Italy, maybe, or overseas. And I think the American release is four years later. Yeah, in uh, January 1st, 1991. Uh, Dario Argento, great giallo filmmaker. Uh, obviously, Suspiria, uh, Blood Red, Inferno. Those are just named to name a few. He also has a movie that just was released on Shutter as well. His new film, Black Sunglasses, which I caught on their secret screening. A lot of fun. Uh, Giallo films aren't for everybody. Uh, you know, murder mystery, whodunit films. And with the Giallo formula of really kind of showing the killer's hands and maybe their eyes and their mask or their hooded 
and it turns into this whodunit. And half the time, you kind of know who may have done this. There's like so many characters where I'm like, oh, that's the killer. <laughs> and usually you're right. <laughs> um, but this stylistically, I feel is one of his best films uh, after Suspiria. Suspiria is what he is known for. I'm talking about the remake, the original one in the 70s, not the Amazon remake, um, which maybe I'll visit for these up ep- these episodes. I don't know. We'll check it out. Recheck it out. I've already seen it, but uh, yeah, th- this stylistic wise, I love the lighting. I love the setup. I-, I love the. I was going into it thinking that this is going to be and i had not seen this this is a hole in my argento filmography i'm i'm watching films by famous filmmakers that i still haven't seen yeah so this is a movie about a uh hooded figure or this is a movie about a masked figure who's forcing a young actress to watch as he murders performers in the production of macbeth which she is starring and i think actually she starts out as an understudy and then becomes the lead. And I actually think it's a cool thing. Like he's not trying to just like kill her out of the gate. Like he's killing all these people around her, the killer. And he does this torturous thing to her, which is so iconic and horror. And I'd heard about it before I'd ever seen the movie. He like, you know, ties her up. And what he does is he like attaches these, like, it's almost like, it looks like it's like really heavy tape or something sticky and there's little sharp blades coming out of the tape and it's pointing up at her eyelids so if she blinks while so it forces her to keep her eyes open while this guy is murdering someone she knows so if she blinks she like rips up her freaking eyes it's so fucking brutal to watch um it's such a cool tactic that's such a dario argento thing just to put this fucking crazy element of danger into his movies with his lead um yeah it, it's a lot of fun um i feel like argento films do have a formula to them and but it's a great formula so uh, i always enjoy it I've, I've never watched a bad film of his you know other italian filmmakers you know you watch a lucio fulci film and you feel like you're having a fever dream that's not a bad thing either you kind of have to know that going into films you know of that era with filmmakers from that part of the world uh yeah again very stylized love the pov shots of the killer um ending was and the ending was a little clunky for me but hey you know this is what you're just kind of kind of going to get sometimes um yeah so that's that's it for this uh for week number two of watches uh thank you guys for listening keep watching your horror films let me know what you're watching you'll know what i'm watching and i'll talk about it next friday and for the third time let me plug this damn thing hot genre topics me and generic c on youtube live uh be sure to give us a follow on instagram i will leave a link to that in the show notes and you can see me sunday night live on youtube or on Instagram Live, if you just want to hang out for the pre-show and watch us talk about our hot sauce we're going to drink on YouTube and then tune into YouTube Live, where you can see us get absolutely fucked up on hot sauce. Anywho, see you next week. Yeah.